Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the privilege that you've given us, the blessing that you've given us, Lord, to come and to worship, to listen to your word, to be good students of your word. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe, minds to understand. Lord, give us the the wherewithal to obey your word as it is preached tonight. Give us, Lord, the, the confidence in knowing that as we obey the command to make disciples, that you will bring many sons and daughters into your kingdom, that they will mature and be the men and women of God that you have created them to be. And God, I pray that you would give me, give me the the words to say tonight that would be clear and edifying. I decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing, all that you have done. Be glorified tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would like to thank you for being with us once again on Wednesday night as we walk through our kind of mini-series on making disciples. As we begin this, this evening, I'd like you to imagine for a moment two believers. Two believers. We're going to call them Mike and Bill. Mike loves to read the Bible. He loves studying theology. He listens to debates all the time, and he can explain really hard doctrines like predestination and election. He's a member of a church, but doesn't care much for spending time with people. As a matter of fact, he's kind of cold to people and quickly rushes out of service after the closing prayer. But Mike really loves God, and Mike really loves God's word. Now, Bill. Bill won't admit it, but he doesn't really like reading the Bible very much. As a matter of fact, he really doesn't enjoy reading anything at all. Bill loves people, though. He loves hanging out with people, meeting different people, and developing relationships. Bill just wants to be a good person and be good to people, developing good relationships. Question now, which one are you more like? Or which one is more like you? Are you the type who loves God and his word, but this whole sharing life with people? Mm, Not so much. Or do you love sharing life and developing relationships, but this theology stuff, it's really hard work. Friends, what we want to do is try to help Bill care more for the word of God and theology and help Mike to care more for people and building relationships. The question is, how do we do that? The answer is simple. Discipleship. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we've been going through what we've been going through for the past three weeks now. Tonight, we are going to talk about the big elephant in the room. How, right? How do we disciple? How do we, we know this command is to to make disciples. The big question is, how do we do so? And let me just say real quick, as the youth are sitting this close to me, there is no age limit to making disciples. There is only a believer and one who makes disciples, or a believer who makes disciples. There's no age limit on that. So we have talked about so far what a disciple is, one who does not just merely follow Christ, but one who is united to Christ and to his people. 
we also learn that if one is truly following Christ, then they are also helping others to follow Christ. If one is truly following Christ, they are also helping others to follow Christ. The first step, obviously, is what? Evangelism. Sharing the gospel. But immediately after evangelism comes discipleship. Helping others to follow Christ. We spent some time last week talking about what discipling is. And and last week may or may not have been as clear as I would have liked it. But I think the question that we all have, even after the first two lessons, is still how. How are we to disciple? Again, there is no age limit on the command to make disciples. There is also no office that is strictly designated for making disciples. Meaning this, discipleship is not just for pastors. Discipleship is not just for pastors. It's also not just for elders. It's not just for deacons. Discipleship is for those who are disciples of Christ. So disciples make disciples. Amen. Biblically, there are a number of one another's that we are to obey within the context of the local church. Listen to some of them. Love one another. Encourage one another. Instruct one another. And as we did last night, pray for one another. These one another's, all 52 of them and possibly even more, are all to be obeyed by those who call themselves disciples or followers of Christ. They are not designated only to pastors, elders, or deacons. They are designated or commanded to those who are disciples of Christ. So tonight, I would like to share with you three main points with a number of sub-points within those main points. My wife loves those. So let us begin. Number one big point. Consider who you would disciple. Or, if you want to simplify it, who should I disciple? Now, every point I give you after this, you can make a dash, you can make a letter A, or you can make uh, Roman numerals, however you'd like to do it. But these are all going to be subpoints. all right? So here's your sub-point number one. We can call it A. Ask yourself this. Who should I pour my life into? This is going to involve making choices. Here are some things that you should decide or consider when deciding who you should disciple. Are they, here's your sub-point, are they a family member? Are they a family member? Sub-point, are they a family member? First Timothy 5.8 If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God teaches us that we have a special responsibility, listen, an opportunity to disciple those who are in our families. We have a unique gift and that we have people living in our very own homes that we will have lifelong relationships with. Amen. The people living or sitting around you, you may not see them for the rest of your life. This may be a passing relationship. But you have people living in your very own home that you will have lifelong relationships with. Parents to to children, husbands to wives, wives to their children and to their husbands as well. These people are your most immediate and important person or the most immediate and important person that you can disciple. And you've been charged by scripture 
to do so. Think about it. Think about the impact that you will make in future generations because of what you as parents do for your children today. Think about that. The practice of prayer, the sharing of the gospel, the reading of the word, the going on walks and explaining God's creation to your kids, attending church. Fathers, think about your children. You are right now showing them how your son, how your son should treat their future wife or a woman in general. You are setting a standard for how your daughters should marry or look to marry a man. They are seeing a standard in you of what they should look for in a man. You are making a mark in their lives every single day. Think about this. There are grandchildren that you have not even met yet that are possibly going to be impacted by what you are doing with your children today. Think about that. That you right now could have an impact in what your great-grandchildren do because of what you're doing with your children right now and what could be passed on to future generations. Do you have that kind of foresight? Do you see that far ahead? Or are you only looking at here and now? The point of discipleship is, again, we are here because those first disciples obeyed the command to make disciples. If they didn't obey that command, we would not be here. It is your responsibility to rear and to raise your children so that they could do what? Rear and raise their children in the ways of God. Now, some of you did not have that opportunity. But do not rob that from your children and from your children's children. Don't overlook or, in, or, or ignore the impact that you can make in your children's life and in your future children's life. Subpoint number two. Are they a Christian? Choose who you will disciple. You must understand first that you can only disciple those who are Christians. That's the process. Evangelism and then share the gospel or evangelism and then make disciples. You share the gospel. They repent, come to faith, and then you walk with them through a discipling relationship. Amen. You cannot disciple an unbeliever. You can share the gospel with an unbeliever, but you can't disciple an unbeliever. Why? 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. So we must disciple believers. Sub-point number three. Are they church members? Choose who you will disciple. And one of the best places that you can begin to look for a person to disciple is the local church. The best place that you can look to obey the command to make disciples is found right here in the local church. You don't have to go very far. We have a greater responsibility to those who are a part of the local body, this local body, than to those who are not a part of this local body. Hear me when I say, that may sound weird. It may sound weird, and if it does sound weird, then you have not understood the importance of the local church. But if it does sound weird, then you must understand this. By being a member of this local church, you have covenanted, you have covenanted, covenanted, covenant, covenant together, there you go, covenanted together with members of this local body. To do what? To love them. To encourage people in this church. To serve them. To carry their burdens, to rejoice with them, to pray with them, to be submitted to the leadership that they are also under. And if you're looking around and you're, and you're being more involved with people from other churches, 
If you're seeking relationships with people from other churches and more invested in their lives than those who are in your own local church, and you've missed the point of the local church altogether. Amen. Your own local church is the perfect place to begin to com- to obey this command. Why is it the perfect place? Think about this. Because you are under the same leadership. You're hearing the same teachings. You have the same core beliefs if you're a member of this church. You've signed this, the church covenant. You won't have to fight over things that you disagree with. You are, you are a part of the same church and you will most likely agree on most things. Consider discipling someone from another church. Especially discipling someone from a bad church. You must consider, why aren't they being fed in their own church? Why must they continually come to you for good food? And sometimes when we continue that discipling relationship with people from bad churches, you're enabling them to stay in bad churches because they just need to go to you to get good food. And you need to ask them hard questions. Why aren't you getting this in your own church? Why isn't your pastor or one of the elders answering these questions for you? It may be hard, but they are important questions to ask. Subpoint number four. What gender are they? Consider who you will disciple. Responsibility for husbands to wives is all throughout scripture. Parents to children, older women to younger women, and so on. I, every Sunday and right now for Wednesdays, I'm teaching men and women. We can, we come into church and we are I am sharing the gospel, sharing the word of God with men and women. But when it comes to discipleship, men should disciple men and women should disciple women. Amen. 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 Titus tells us that older women are to teach younger women. So we love men and women and we also labor to avoid wrong or inappropriate intimate relationships. I'll say that again. We love men and women. They're our brothers and our sisters. But we also labor to avoid wrong or inappropriate intimate relationships. Men should be working with men. Women should be working with women. There have been far too many shameful sins done in the church that all began with the opposite sex saying to one another, let's get together and study the Bible sometime. When the ulterior motive is... Something not as pure as studying the Bible. Let us be aware and avoid inappropriate relationships. Next question. How old are they? Choose who you will disciple. Is that person that you are going to disciple younger or older than you? Paul encouraged Timothy not to allow anyone to despise him because of his youth. And Paul also encouraged Timothy to respect older men as he would a father. Amen. Normally, you are going to disciple someone who is younger than you. But there are countless examples of younger people teaching older people. We see it all throughout the scriptures. We must be humble to learn from both the young people and the old. We cannot think that we cannot learn anything from younger people because they are not experienced enough. Or from older people because they are out of touch with what's going on here and now. Personally, I have learned so much from those who are younger than me. And I've learned so much from those who are older than me. What we must do is be humble enough to, to allow what is being taught or allow, accept what is being taught from those people who are, are modeling it just as well as they are teaching it. Amen. Amen? They may be young, but are they modeling what they're teaching? 
They may be old, but are they modeling what they're teaching? Those are the ones we must look for as our teachers. I'm going to ask you or, or bring up another sub-point that may be interesting and different. Diversity. One of the mistakes that we can make when choosing someone to teach someone else is simply this. We look for people who are just like us. We look for people, we gravitate toward people who are just like us. Now, I understand surrounding yourself or the comfort in surrounding yourself with people who are just like you. But what I don't understand is how people can grow if they don't learn how to connect with people who are nothing like them. How will you grow if you don't experience different people who have different backgrounds, different upbringings? The Bible says in in Ephesians 2.18, we are of one spirit in the Father. We have all been made in the image of God, and we are all sharing the same spirit. The spirit of God, the same spirit of God dwells in every single one of us. The same spirit. The book of Revelation points to the culmination of all things. When a great multitude of every nation and tribe and tongue will all be gathered together. And they are all together worshiping the Lamb of God. There is no class. There is no whatever distinctions. We are all together as one worshiping God. So as you look for disciples, yes, I understand commonalities, but also learn, teach, and display what we can learn from college kids. Different cultures, different ethnicities, different upbringings. Don't consider this church to be a Hispanic church or a whatever church. This is a church. Amen. Amen. We see believers as believers. Believers are all your brothers and sisters. There is no class difference. There is no race difference. That doesn't even make sense anymore. We are just people who are following Christ. I would love to see more diversity in this church. I would love to see more of that. But it's going to take us reaching out to people that we wouldn't normally not reach out to. Amen. Amen. Next, in the sub-points. Are they teachable? Are they teachable? Choose a disciple. And when you do, listen to me closely, see if they're teachable. See if when you talk, they listen. Amen? Amen? See if when you talk... They listen. Do they fall asleep when you talk? Do you know anybody that when you speak to them, they're falling asleep? See if they argue about everything that you say. Watch their body language. Are they twitching? Are they nodding their head 100 miles an hour or or shaking whatever part of their body 100 miles an hour to get you to shut up? Because they can't wait for you to stop talking. Now, there are some people who have (laughs) those habits. That's just your habit. But then there are other people that when you speak to them, you can tell they can't wait for you to shut up because they don't want to hear from you. You don't want to waste your time with someone who doesn't think that you have anything to teach them. Amen. Amen. Especially when they feel like they also have nothing to learn. It's no mark of anybody's spiritual maturity. And that they believe that they can only be discipled by an elder or someone who is in leadership. That's no mark of maturity. Next sub point. Are they faithful? Are they faithful? Choose a disciple. And one of the most important qualities that you can find is this. Found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. What you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men to do what? 
who will be able to teach others also. We want to teach everyone, but we especially want to teach those who will turn and teach others. We don't want to just pour into people who have no, no desire to turn around and teach anybody else. That's simply addition. We want to turn to those and teach those who are interested in multiplication, who are going to teach all who they come encounter with. Amen. Amen. Here's another sub point for you. I don't know what number we're on, maybe eight or nine. Schedule. What's your schedule like? Choose a disciple. And then find out if you even have the time to get together. All of our, our, all of our schedules are crazy. All of our schedules are all over the map. Galatians says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to one another. Can we get together? What are our schedules? You can't disciple someone that you can never get together with. Amen. If you never have, and now if you never have any time to disciple anyone, then you must evaluate what's going on in my life that I have no time for anyone. Meet with people as often as you can. Get together with them for the purpose of discipleship. Uh, Can you turn the air on, please? Number two. Here's your second point, okay? So those are all sub points under, under, under number one. Here's your second point. Choose, which you should. These are all the things you consider. Here's your second point. When you do choose, have a clear objective. Okay? When you do choose, what's the goal? When you do choose, what is the goal? Have a clear objective. And if you're wondering, what is the clear objective? You want to help them to be more like Christ. The goal is helping someone be more like Christ. How will you accomplish this? What areas of their life do you most want to impact? Again, the answer is you want to make an impact on their understanding and on their living. So help them be more like Christ. How will I do that? Make an impact in their understanding and make an impact in how they live. These two together will equal someone who is mature and like Christ. You want to help them understand more about what it means to be a Christian. What is the message that you would begin with? If you're trying to take them down that road of better understanding, where would you start? The gospel. Start with the gospel. That is the message that is at the core of Christianity. As we help one another grow, there is no message that we should make sure that we have a better hold on than the message of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Paul encouraged Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul also encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We want to understand what the gospel is. Why join a church? What is communion and why do we take it? We want to understand and grow in our knowledge of Christ. Amen. Amen. Discipleship is not just about keeping one another accountable to be good. You understand that? Discipleship is not some kind of of morality program where we just teach each other to be good and not be bad people. We must teach. We must encourage others. We must hold fast to the word of life. Now, we may use books, 
But ultimately, those books should be pointing us to the Word of God. Uh, there's a thing uh, in, in Christianity called this, and, and listen how it goes. Life, truth, life. Listen to that pattern again. Life, truth, and life. Life attracts. Listen close. Life attracts. Amen. Truth transforms. And then life illustrates and instructs that which we have been told by the truth. Or that which truth has informed us about. So let me say it again. Life attracts. There are people who are attracted just by the way that you live. And then what do you do with them? You share truth. And what does truth do? Truth transforms. And then what should truth do after it is transformed? It should produce a life that illustrates that they have been changed by truth. See that pattern, how it just goes back and forth. Life, truth, life, truth, life, truth. This is the way that we are to call people to live. This is the way that we are to live. This is the pattern that was displayed for me in my parents. I was drawn to the life of my parents. It was the truth of what they knew that drew me to understand more or want to understand more about what did they believe. And as I began to see how that truth was lived out in their lives, it began to change my life as I began to find out more about that truth. Were they perfect people? Absolutely not. By no means. But were they faithfully following Christ? Absolutely. When you run into people or when you have people that you are discipling, be very careful to assume that the people who are discipling you are going to be perfect. Far from it. Far from it. We have also, we who have been transformed by the truth of God's word will, becoming, will become living illustrations of that truth that we have come to believe. We want to be living illustrations of the truth that we have come to believe. So the first half of that, of that helping people is helping to teach them how to live. Amen. Or actually, helping them to grow in their understanding. So the first half is help them to grow in their understanding. The second half of that is you want to see their lives transformed. The first half, understanding. The second half, you want to see lives transformed. Does that make sense? Amen. You want to see them live better lives. You want to see them live transformed lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How powerful a statement that is. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Think about this. In the Gospels, Jesus talks about being a disciple, mathetes. Paul uses the word imitator. So Christ is talking about being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, mathetes. Paul is saying be an imitator of who? Of him. The way that Paul says to follow Christ is through imitating him. How powerful is that? And why? Well, because Christ was no longer there. Christ was calling people to follow him while he was there. And he is still calling people to follow him today. And the way that we see how to follow Christ is by looking at one another. Of course, looking in his word, reading how Christ lived, and then seeing how that's lived out in people's lives. Being imitators of those who are faithfully 
following Christ. Question, who do you know that is walking like Christ right now? And are you imitating their pattern of life? I'll ask you again. Who do you know right now that is walking like Christ? And are you following that pattern that they are setting? Are they Christ? No. But are they the best that you can see? Or as as best as you can see, are they following Christ? Yes. Then imitate them. Then imitate them. Paul said, follow me, listen, in as much as I follow Christ. How great is that? Follow me in as much as I follow Christ. He says this often in the New Testament. My following, my watching, my imitating will be all within the context of what you see me doing like Christ. The more I see Christ in you, the more I will follow. Whatever examples I see of you, in you, that are reflecting that which I see in Christ, I will follow. Just like my parents, who were not perfect. You may watch me or another and learn that we are not perfect. Praise God. I thank God for the countless false teachers that I have seen and been around in my life. Because they have taught me more about what not to do than what to do. So even though you may be following people and saying, this this person is just not perfect, they're not ideal. Again, like you said last week, neither are you. But at the same time, watch what they do and don't do the things that you think are not reflecting Christ. And don't put it on Facebook about how bad they are. If we are to disciple people, we are going to have to invite them into our lives. We must be willing to also dive into theirs. And that means we're going to have to get dirty. No more disinfecting. We will have to get dirty. This is important. And I say this again. You're going to come over to to people's homes. And you're going to see that people are just like you. They argue as well. People are just like you. They're not floating around their houses with wings. They have flaws. But think about this. Can they argue without disrespecting one another? That's, a, that's arguing well. And we need to learn how to do that as believers. We need to, to, to argue biblically to where we don't disrespect one another. We don't degrade one another. But we hear one another out. And we lovingly try to come to a conclusion that hopefully, ultimately reflects God's love, Christ's love for the church and the church's love and submission to Christ. You're going to meet people or see people who discipline their kids. And can they do so well? Can they discipline their kids without breaking the spirit of that little kid? Can they do so without putting that, that, that kid in some kind of fear mode? Oh, and can they do it lovingly to where that kid turns around and can give that parent a hug or a kiss and say, I love you, in spite of the discipline that they receive? We need to watch men who lead in godly ways, watch women who submit in godly ways and who love in godly ways and also leave room for mistakes and grace knowing these people are people. All of this, of course, is to the glory of God. And I've summarized all of what I've just said in that second point in this. Share the word, show the word, teach the word, serve as Christ. 
If we were to summarize what I just said in that second point, share the word, show the word, teach the word, serve as Christ served. So there's only one thing left for us to do, right? Third point. Obey the command. Obey the command. Making disciples is going to take some work. You must know out of all that I've been saying, all that we've been talking about, it's going to be some work. It's not going to be something that is simple. But here are some subpoints to that third point. Subpoint number one. Take time. Take time. Because it does take time. These discipling relationships don't happen overnight. They take time. It's been a blessing to see many of you grow in Christ, but it has not happened overnight. It's happened over a period of time, and it's going to take time. Now, these different times that we have, they are all going to have different circumstances. They're going to change. There may be times and seasons where you can meet with someone often, depending on their schedule and your schedule. And then there may may be times and seasons when you don't get to see each other as much. I may meet with someone once a week. And maybe someone else once a month, just based on our schedules. But apart from time, there is no discipling. Apart from spending time, there is no discipling. The fact that it takes time means we can't do this for everyone. I would love to disciple every single man in this church. That's one of the reasons why we have the race. So that we can all get together and spend more time together. That's one of the reasons why we meet as often as we do. That's also one of the reasons why we have other elders, other deacons, and other great church members. You can start by spending time with them. Amen. You can also start by spending more time right after church is over. Just spending five minutes. If you are used to just leaving right away, spend five minutes and just talk to someone. Not rushing off. We had a great time last night in prayer where we obeyed the command to love one another and to pray for one another and to bear one another's burdens. When you come to church, one of the first things that we say to one another is, how are you? And the, the most common response that we all give to each other is good or blessed. But we must be willing to go deeper than that. We must be willing to take the time to actually care enough to ask, is there anything that I can pray with you about? And brothers and sisters, friends, I tell you that when you ask that simple question and you're serious about really taking time, they will honestly tell you, yes, there are some things, as a matter of fact, that I would like for you to pray with me about. And how great would it be to come in even five minutes after service or to see in this congregation five minutes after service people turning and just praying for one another. People opening up scripture and saying, this really encouraged me the other day. How much of a blessing would that be? Well, it's going to take us taking the initiative and asking a simple question. May I pray with you? Oh, brother, sister, I read something the other day. May I share that with you? Or what did you think about the sermon? How, how can you apply that to your life today? It's funny that we think it's weird to ask questions like that. Or other churches ask questions like that. Not a little church like us on the east side. We need to grow out of that. We need to grow out and up from that. Many times people want these relationships, but they're not willing to invest the time 
necessary to build these relationships. Listen to this. Others want these relationships only when they're going through trials. And it is understandable, but it's important that you develop those relationships before trials come. So that when they do, you have, you have people that you can lean on that are already in your life. Amen. But it's not going to happen if you sit there and you isolate yourself from everyone. We are here to love, encourage, pray, to, to obey the, the one another's with you. So take advantage of your fellow church members. Subpoint number two. You're going to have to base all that you do in the Bible. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God or the word of God. When you disciple, spend time in the word. We are trying to understand what God has said, not what some guru has said or some wise teacher has said. We want to know God. And the only place and the best place to do that is right here in his word. Now, some people may say, I don't know his word enough. That is not a qualifier for making disciples. Being a disciple of Christ is the only qualifier, the only prerequisite to making a disciple. And if you don't know a lot, then you'll work together in finding out. Amen. Amen. Sub point number three, pray. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for those who you're discipling. Look around you tonight. Who are those that you've been praying for? We prayed last night. Did you even think about or consider some of the the prayers that we had last night at prayer? Did you think about those today? Friends, that is the first step in making disciples or being a good disciple maker. Even being a good church member is hearing some of the things that people are carrying and remembering those in your prayers. Ask them questions when you pray with them. Ask them why they pray. Ask them why they pray what they pray for. Ask them what they should pray for when they pray. Here's another good tip. Let them hear you pray. Let them hear you pray. Let them hear how you pray. Let them hear what you pray for. Let them hear how you involve scripture in your prayers. Teach them how to pray. This means that you must also know how to pray. Let me also say to you, that when you pray from the scripture, don't say anything in, the, in, in speaking in the first person of God is telling me. Don't make that mistake. Instead, you can say God has said in his word. You can set that air off now. Last, <clears throat> love. John thirteen thirty four. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Je- Jesus summarized the whole law in love. Love is so important to these relationships. Now listen, love does not mean that you baby them. Love does not mean that every time they need you, you go and give them their pacifier or their bottle or you pat them on their back until they burp. No, you are actually going to be damaging people if you do not and are not willing to say some hard things to them. You can't always be the good guy. You can't always say the nice things. You're going to have to challenge them. If you don't, they won't grow. You're going to have to correct them. If you don't, they won't grow. If you're afraid to tell someone you're doing something wrong, they're going to keep continuing to do the wrong thing until somebody has the guts to say you're doing the wrong thing. You must rebuke. You must correct. And every time you do it, know that it's all rooted in love. I'm not telling you this, or I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't love you. But because I do love you, 
Because I care enough to tell you that you have dirt on your face. Everyone else may have passed you up and said nothing about the spinach in your teeth. But I care about you enough to say you've got something there. And it's nasty. (laughs) Amen. Even speaking in Christian lives, there are things there that just don't go well with calling yourself a Christian. Someone can be dressed up as as beautifully or as handsomely as possible. Have junk in their teeth and it destroys the whole image. Someone could call themselves a believer and have things that are unaddressed in their life. And it kills the whole image. And who are we reflecting? Christ. Christ. I have weird things that I do for people when I'm discipling them. I'll draw really close to them purposely. And then I'll really draw back on purpose. Why? To see if they've learned anything while I drew close to them. Some people are completely confused when I do that. They think that uh, I've fallen out of love with them, that I no longer care about them. But the point of that is to help them to rely on God, not on me. So I bring them close, help them to learn and to grow. Then I back off to see if you learned anything in the time that we've been together. I believe this is one of the most loving things that I can do for an individual. Why? Because I don't want people being overwhelmingly in love with me or overwhelmingly dependent on me. One of the things that I'm I'm doing wrongly with our son is uh, he had an accident the other day, so I put a diaper bag on him. I would I would love if he wore a diaper till he was 15 years old. And what kind of a parent would I be? That I did not take responsibility and let him have some accidents sometimes, so that he can learn it doesn't feel good when that's in your pants. That's what we must also be willing to do. When we are discipling people, give them space. Let God deal with them sometimes. Why? Because we're not going to be there for them all the time. Whether we know it or not, we're going to die one day. And one of the most valuable things that we can pass on is the gospel and trusting in Christ alone. Appreciate me. Appreciate others. Appreciate men of God, women of God. But they are not the source of your salvation. They are not the source of your peace. They're not the source of all your information. You can find out more from Google than you can from me. Amen. Amen. Now, that's not to say don't ask us or don't rely on us or not even don't rely on us. Don't utilize us. But that is to say, don't completely depend on us. Depend on Christ. We are not God. I am not God. We are not always available. People are going to need things that I often can't give. What people need mostly is God. Now, God may use me in a person's life for a a little while. Then God may use someone else in another way in their life. And that's okay. I am not possessive of people. If God uses someone else to help you in in their life, then praise God. You're one less person I got to worry about. And I can move on to somebody else. Don't also be concerned with whether or not you, they would consider you to be the person who's discipling them. If someone says, well, it's actually Philip who's discipling me and you've had a big impact in their life. Who cares? Don't worry so much about what someone thinks about you. As long as they are following and pursuing Christ, that's all that matters. When you start to want to have ownership of them or you you want to be the one that they give credit to, then you really need to check your pride. 
you really need to check your pride as to who does the credit ultimately belong to anyways? To Christ and Christ alone. So egos can go out the door. We need people who are in love with Christ, in love with his word, and in love with passing on this truth so that future generations can say, I'm here. Because people like Frank and Philip and Oscar and Jojo and so on and so forth obeyed the command of Martina and, and Karina and Ellie and you and you and you. They obeyed the command to make disciples. Amen. All of this, brothers and sisters, is out of love for God and love for people. What marks us as believers? Love for God. Love for people and obedience to God. Love and obedience is why we do these things. I'm going to mention this in the next sermon that we have too. We do this out of love and obedience. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word as it has gone forth. We pray that your people were edified, challenged, and encouraged. Lord, help us to obey because we love you. Help us to obey. Because we love your people. We pray for much fruit to come out of the obedience, Lord. And that you would ultimately be glorified because of it. Christ, let me pray. Amen.